and shine, and don't forget your booties, because it's cold out there. Today. It's cold out there every day. What is this, Miami Beach? I don't I think hardly. So. How's it going, boys? You're playing yesterday's tape. Well, it's Groundhog Day here in Hawkeye Land again. One of my all-time favorite movies, Jim. Did you know that it's actually a treatise on Buddhism? Yes, I I, I, I did read that. Like they believe it is. Uh, Harold Ramis didn't intend it to be, but he had Buddhist scholars tell him that it was, and then he went along with that. Right, which they totally is one of my favorite movies too. Does that mean Harold Ramis might actually be a reincarnated Buddha and didn't even know it? The twelfth son of the Lama, you bet. <laughs> and did you guys read the uh, breakdown where someone calculated how long Bill Murray lived in Groundhog Day? I thought it was, it was like, thousands of years. Yeah, it was like like nine hundred years or something like that. So, well, it's let's see, Iowa eight and four, and we're headed to the Outback Bowl, and that counts as Groundhog Day here at twelve Saturdays. And I'm James Bladle, and with me as always. Corey Brecht and Bill Delahunt. Guys, but before we dive into that, I think we've got some unfinished business that I know Bill is just uh, chomping to discuss, and that is the uh, becoming annual Thanksgiving uh, tradition of the Nebraska beating and Bill being able to wear his black and gold and his uh, chin high as he walks around the streets of Omaha. Uh, so what do we want to talk about here, guys? We're a little late on that, but uh, it was a lot closer than we thought it was going to end up. Well, I, I, have, a, I have a question for Bill. Fire. Um, what I want to know, Bill, is uh, as much as you enjoy the beatdowns, I know, was a little part of you kind of got a little extra giddy by the, you know, giving them a little chance and then the ripping their guts out right at the end? Uh, which is more satisfying as a Omaha? Oh <sighs> Obviously, a 56 to 17 type game where Memorial Stadium just empties out in the third quarter. Um, you guys know I was I was a little chippy there in the fourth quarter, and I actually had a uh, Husker fan uncle of mine over. He's my favorite uncle. I love the guy, but he was actively cheering for Nebraska, and I screamed at him and made him promise to be church mouse quiet. Uh, <laughs> and when uh, Nebraska tied it up on that incredible two-point conversion, uh, all he does is, uh, under his breath, go church mouse-like. So, <laughs> yeah, very very well played on his part. And just thank God we got the W. And uh, did you guys know that since the start of World War II, Iowa owns a 10 to 9 uh win record over Nebraska. So, you know, there those uh the days of of Nebraska owning Iowa is uh that was back when, you know, hello my baby, hello my honey, hello my ragtime gal. It was a <laughs> the boogie up woogie bugle boy. Exactly, uh, yeah. Like they always play at, at halftime. I I think like, you know, I see it both ways. I I think um the Four or five score beatdown, of course, helps to shatter the illusions that I think that almost every Nebraska fan carries with them, that they are uh, just this close to returning to relevance. And um, um, and um, I think beating them the way we did this time, by giving them a little bit of hope, dangling the, the miraculous comeback in front of them, at, you know, as their, which is going to be their last game, that that 
you know, allure of the fifth win and then ripping their hearts out at the last second uh, also had a lot of appeal. Um, and uh, but but I think it did kind of feed the delusion that that hey, you know, they are on the upswing, they are coming back. But you know, at the end of the day, you have to evaluate where Nebraska is <sighs> as a program, yeah. and uh, and say like, you know, uh, that's why I was disappointed. Kind of the way Iowa let them back uh, let them back into it. Well, I texted you guys this, uh, I think, a couple nights ago that I'd finally gotten around to rewatching the game at a little more closely than I had previously, and that game should have never been that close. I mean, that really had the earmarkings, maybe not of a complete woodshedding like the last couple of years, but really with the points Iowa left on the table and some weird calls and everything. I mean, I thought it looked more like it should have been about a 38-17 to 17 kind of game. Um but you know, hey, if they have a little bit of uh, false confidence heading into next season with their four and eight uh, savior, then uh, so be it. Yeah, that uh, the call to the fake field goal. I mean, I get it. I think that was Kirk or Brian or both wanting to step on Nebraska's throat. But the field goal would have done the same. It would have been a yeah. three, uh, three score game either way. So. I don't know. I think they'll probably reevaluate I, that. But I, I like the call, though, Bill, because, I mean, at first I was with you. I didn't like it. Like, why just take the points and you make it a three-possession game, you know? Um, but I like the call because with the touchdown, I mean, it's just demoralizing. And it wasn't, if I remember, it wasn't fourth and goal. It was, like, fourth and two from the four. Well, here's, like here's where I'm going to say you're both right, because, Jim, you're absolutely right about that. And here's why what I would say. Go for it, but pound it down their throat. You've been running mm-hmm. it down their throat all yeah. damn day. Yeah. And if you want to demoralize them, line up and do a quarterback sneak or that fullback dive that's worked so well or, or run it with Sargent. They couldn't stop it. So it was too cute by half, in my opinion. If you're if you're at fourth and one from the three-yard line, don't line up for the fake field goal. Either kick the field goal, take your three possession win or tell them you can't stop us we're going to shove this down your throat and do it so yeah i we didn't yeah. need to trick nebraska to beat them we were beating their ass all day yeah it's like it, it's like it's like they game planned it as if they were facing a competent opponent uh, but you weren't why you know why get tricky i get you and I like the call, and and ultimately, I think they were saying that they had some cushion there if he didn't make it, and he didn't, and they burned up all of their cushion, <laughs> but but they did have a cushion. Yeah, just happy as hell to get the win. Um, it's it's great wearing my my Hawkeye stuff around Nebraska. Uh, the thing about Nebraska fans is they are so the knight in Monty Python's Holy Grail, missing its arms and legs. You know, <laughs> just, just a puts a scratch. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll you. I mean, damned if you do, damned if you don't with them. You beat the crap out of them. Oh, you know, we're such a bad team, you, you know, that you didn't do anything. You just, you can't win with them, and it's not satisfying in that in that sense. It's like arguing with a toddler. It really is. <laughs> yeah, take your beating like a man and move on. I don't know what else there is to say about this one. It's been fantastic. It's... uh uh, you know, it's four. Is that four in a row? And five, uh, five of the last six. Four in a row. Five of the last six. Uh, congrats to the class of 2018 who never lost to Nebraska. Yes, congrats to those seniors. Uh, although they also are the team that uh, never beat Wisconsin. Is that correct? Or they beat them uh, as freshmen? Beat them as freshmen, but they're also undefeated against Iowa State and Minnesota. So I don't know. That's that's yeah. 
That's true. Oh, one three against uh, Wisconsin and uh, Northwestern, but we'll give them a pass on that. They were freshmen. Well, speaking of Nebraska, how could we stop talking about it without acknowledging that we kind of called it that I when we had Renee Racinos on the podcast a few weeks ago, we predicted that at some day Miguel was going to get a walk-off field goal. And it wasn't looking so good for a while when Iowa was dominating in his last home game as a senior, but damned if it didn't happen. So uh, as promised, we got Mr. Racinos back on the podcast to walk us through that last moment. I, I can't even imagine the emotions you were going through at that particular time, Renee. Well, I mean, it was, uh, it was an incredible day, Tori. I mean, as a lifelong Hawkeye fan, uh, uh, starting off the game, standing in the middle of uh, the field and greeting Miguel and seeing all the fans, man, that, that's just, I'm going to, I'm going to take that to my deathbed and beyond, I'm sure. But, uh, it was, it was a really uh, amazing day and, you know, kind of a typical Iowa, um, weather type day it started off nice enough but then it ended uh, under pretty pretty crappy conditions um but uh we were very happy for miguel and you know we uh you couldn't have uh you couldn't have scripted it any uh better in terms of like a disney type ending you know to have his final kick uh in kinnick be a game winner so renee on that last uh i think it was a, a fourth and eight Call with the completion to Hawkinson to set up the field goal. Did, is that when? Uh, uh, is that when you knew it was going to happen for him? Is that when you knew uh, Miguel was uh, going to be the uh, you know the man of the hour? Because I, I still, you know, especially given the uh, the fake field goal earlier in the game, I I cannot get over just the 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 guts to pull out that uh, that fourth and eight to set it up. Yeah, you know, I mean. Uh... I have a great deal of respect for Coach Ferentz, but uh, Coach Ferentz of now is very different than Coach different uh, Coach Ferentz of when I was growing up. I mean, um, you know, when I was growing up, if you look at Nate Kading's numbers, I mean, uh, even as a freshman, he generated large numbers of reps. And I think, uh, you know, that game against Nebraska was was typical of what the new Ferentz uh, approach is because they did go for it on more than one fourth down situation uh, and uh, involving trickeration and then, you know, just, uh, you know, that, that uh, pass play to set up the field goal. So uh, the Ferentz of now is very different than the Ferentz of old. And um, I was just very happy for Miguel that he had the opportunity to, um, you know, redeem himself, if you will, uh, because that uh, earlier miss uh, while it was a, a good quality hit, was one of those where it was we had talked about. It, it was really only the second miss hit he's had all season. The rest of them, uh, um, you know, he had one block and then sort of some other stuff. But but that was really the, the only the second miss hit he'd had all season for him. So for him, he was frustrated by that and and uh, was relieved that he had the opportunity to to win the game. Was that one? Was that one more of a mechanical thing then, Renee? Like he just hit the wrong part of the ball, or was the there weather? something with the snap or? No, it was it was one of those where it was you know when it's when it's on on the kicker it's one of those where it, it boils down to mechanics and he talked about it I think in one of the interviews you know he opened up his hips a little bit so um, that you know but the good news about that I told him was if you've only had two miss hits all season that's uh, bodes well because uh, you know as, as he's got a really good snapper and a holder this year but uh, if he makes that step up into the next level um, they're going to be that much better. 
Yeah, you said that you've talked to him about kind of his thought process during the game. Uh, talk a little bit more about that. What was, you know, what's he thinking leading up to it? I know Scott Frost called a timeout to try to ice him. Uh, what do you say about all that and just kind of put us in his head that last few minutes of the game there? He had, you know, he had a good interview. I think it was with Mark um, of the Glo- of the uh, Cedar Rapids Gazette. But, but you know, the thing about, uh, and we talked about it, um, icing the kicker, at least as, insofar as he is concerned, um, doesn't uh, bother him in the least because it gives him an opportunity to, you know, uh, chill with the guys a little bit on the field that things don't feel so rushed. I know uh, in that particular instance, it was uh, – you know, raining uh, fairly steadily. And so uh, when they first got out there, the ball that they had was wet. So when they snapped it, it was kind of a slippery ball. But uh, when they had timeout uh, called, then they had the opportunity to get in a dry ball, which which obviously helped. Um, you know, and I think Frost uh, um, called two timeouts. Um, but that, you know, for him, it just it really doesn't bother him. I mean, uh, Perhaps some kickers get rattled. I know Ferentz was trying to do the same thing to uh, uh, the opposition. I think it was at the end of the Purdue game. Um, but it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't seem to rattle him. I mean, I think uh, he 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 gets he, for him. It's a really relaxing thing to talk to Colton before a kick. So they have that opportunity. So the the question I have going back to the fake field goal, Renee, was. Um, I presume, I mean, this is going to sound kind of dumb, but they expected to make it. Were they surprised at, at how prepared Nebraska was for it? What was sort of the, I guess, uh, after report on that one, if you will? Well, I mean, I, I guess what I'd say there, Tori, is I know some things, but I, I certainly am never wanting to approach things from the perspective of second-guessing our coaching staff. What I will say is that they typically um, – are allowed to make the field call. In other words, uh, the usually it's Colton will make the call based on the look they see as they line out in formation. But in this case, it was a little unusual, and they said you're gonna you're gonna where the fake is on no matter what. Um, and w- if you look at the replay, I don't I'm not privy to I wasn't privy to that particular fake field goal play and what particular look they were looking for. But if you look at the uh, the Nebraska's lineup in retrospect when viewed from the end zone. Uh, I, I have a hard time believing that <laughs> that play was going to work when they had uh, three guys stacked on the on the uh, offense's left side. So, you know, but if they'd have gone, if they'd have gone, if Nebraska had gone for the field goal block, then that would have been a whole different story. It's just that usually, I mean, if it was me and I was the guy designing the play. I would be expecting to have at least one linebacker back behind the line, um, you know, how they'll usually line up rather than having everybody stacked up on the ends. But, you know, what do I know? I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm not getting paid to do this. <laughs> so what was uh, in, in the immediate aftermath? I mean, obviously he, uh, I, I think I read somewhere where Miguel said, uh, was it uh, one of the previous kickers said, make sure you get away from your team. You don't want to be in the bottom of that dog pile. <laughs> Um, I love that, <laughs> which is a great, great quote, one for the ages. But, uh, but you know, following that, I mean, uh, was this the signature moment that uh, um, that you know, as a parent, that you were, you know, and as and as a fan, uh, were hoping for 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 him as far as you know, getting, you know, rushed off the field, run into the locker room, the walk off uh, field goal, and the hero of the hour. Is that really everything that uh, 
um, you'd hope for uh, as far as uh, ending his career there at Kinnick? Wow, man. I mean, you know, as corny as it sounds, I mean, I know that at least several of you are parents. I mean, as it truly as corny as it sounds for us, the greatest, the greatest, mo- the greatest sporting moment was, is and uh, was and is seeing him in a Hawkeye uniform. I mean, I can see that. Else, I can see that. Else, yeah, everything else for me is just icing on the cake. So, uh, you know, was was it exciting to see him kick it? You better believe it. I mean, you know, we were jumping up and down. Uh, like crazy people um, in the stands, but um, you know, I I told him I said uh, s- several of his kicks um, were on that same level to me uh, for different reasons. I mean, his this year his kick against Penn State uh, under uh, very difficult conditions with the game contested and uh, him kicking towards the student section. Uh, I mean, it was louder than hell, and the conditions were really bad. Um, so that was, uh, an impressive kick, but you know, it, it, uh, some of his kicks have, uh, are really things apparent and a coach would appreciate because, uh, the greater tide of the game, uh, was, was going in different directions, you know, and in that, in that particular game, the Penn state kicker had the game of his life because he'd had, he'd come into the, to the game with basically a 50% completion ratio. So, um, you know, there have been several kicks that have been high points and certainly this one is a good one for a resume builder, I think, for, um, you know, for uh, NFL-type people. Well, I mean, and the other thing is, Renee, you have to love him, even if he just shanked it and lost the game, but we <laughs> as Iowa fans don't. <laughs> oh, man. Right. right. No, no, and I, you know what? I 100% agree with you, Tori, and, the, and the, that question got asked early on when I outed myself on the board was, you know, I think of, of all people, uh, Legend 12 was like, you know, <laughs> You know, I sure hope that Miguel is successful because I'll hate to see what happens if he isn't. And, and I get that, but it didn't work. It worked out for the good and, and not for the bad. So that's good. Renee, well, you've seen the Sports Illustrated uh, uh, story written after Rob Houtland beat Michigan where it said Rob Houtland stood however many yards away from never having to buy a beer in the state of Iowa again. Uh-huh. That's that, that probably holds true for Miguel. I don't know if he parties or not, but. Um, yeah, he's, he's certainly a hero in my book and I'll remember it. Well, yeah, I appreciate that very much, Tori. I mean, I, I would say that, um, uh, he's not, most kickers really aren't, aren't party hounds. I mean, Sebastian Janikowski, uh, uh-huh. is perhaps an exception, but, uh, most kickers are pretty, uh, and, and actually Marshall Kane is an exception. Marshall will be the first person to tell you he, he had one hell of a hangover the next day after the pit game, but, <laughs> but that's not Miguel's style. So Yeah, well, with that uh, kick, I can think we can, he will at least be paying double for beers uh, in the state of Nebraska, should he ever uh, have uh, uh, some burdening necessity to go visit that state. But uh, So you got one more game left, um, and, uh, you know, um, Sure, why not? Let's have another walk-off. Uh, you know, let's, there's nothing that says you can't be the hero twice. Um, but after that, you're thinking, uh, then, what, what, are your, uh, what are your prospects, outlook, what are your plans, then, uh, uh, you and Miguel and, and uh, the NFL? Because kickers have a pretty, uh, they don't take many every year. Um, it's not exactly like an every-year pipeline. But when they do, they, they tend to work out well, and they, they tend to have some staying power in the league. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, you know, so first of all, the bowl game, I mean, what I would say is, yeah, sure, of course, so who's going to say no to that? But what I would say, I'd rather him, or what I would, would be really tickled by is if he if he hit a field goal over 50 yards, because he certainly can do it. Mm. 
Um, but it, the opportunity only presented itself once this year. So if he could, if under really nice conditions, I, I, I have no doubt he could hit a 55 plus uh, yard field goal. Um, so if he does that, that really is another one that, um, you know, builds his uh, resume as to the NFL. I mean, I would say that, um, you know, teams, uh, I'm not going to give specifics, really, but I, I can tell you that NFL teams came to Iowa City specifically to see him in the preseason. So, um, you know, he's got interest. Uh, and I, even though it's an unexciting play at this point, and it rendered um, even less exciting now because of the, the, what I think is the foolish college collegiate uh, kickoff rule, in the NFL, um, there are no um, – there is no uh, fair catch, uh, you know, inside the 20-yard line. So – Miguel has that exceptional ability to drop the ball consistently inside the five-yard line with over four seconds of hang time. And that, uh, assuming the rules don't change for next year, is, is a highly prized um, capability in the NFL. And, uh, you know, I sit there and when I watch NFL games, I got my stopwatch and I'm timing people. And I can tell you he compares, compares very well with current NFL kickers. I don't have a stopwatch, but I actually did notice that he does do a great job of dropping it in there. Um just to go back to Jim's question, and uh, then I'm done. Um, what's the the vibe on the uh, an, an Outback Bowl against Mississippi State with the team? Are they excited for it? Are they? Uh, what are they thinking of of the opponent and the the venue? Well, I mean, you know, the uh, Raymond James Stadium. Uh, a lot of the guys know, especially on the current team, because they were there two years ago. I think it was two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, it's a beautiful facility. Uh, uh, the uh, the field is in great shape, um, you know. It's a it's a great place for families to convene. So you know, I think the players are excited. Mississippi State. I haven't really uh, looked at any video on them from the from any particular perspective. I was just reading some of their stats. I mean, I think that they look like a pretty uh, quality uh, SEC type opponent, uh, but certainly one that's beatable. Uh, and as you're so fond of uh, writing, Tori, uh, it depends on which Iowa team shows up. <laughs> um, so if we have the uh, Iowa versus Ohio State team of last year, uh, you know, we're going to crush them. Um, but um, it's going to be a, it's certainly going to be a different makeup uh, without having Noah Fant there. Um, you know, so we're going to have, I think, an opportunity for w- one of our other tight, en- tight ends to step up. Um, but uh yeah, I'm excited. You know, I don't. I don't think. Uh, I think for Miguel, it'll be a, a fun uh, conclusion to uh, to his collegiate career. And uh, I don't see him getting drafted. In fact, I don't want him to be drafted because uh, you have much more um, say over where you go as an undrafted free agent. Because then teams can court you, and you can decide as opposed to having to go wherever you get drafted. Um, and there, you know, there are, there are places around the league that are much more kicker friendly than others. Interesting, interesting. Well, uh, well, Renee, you know, I, I, I don't know much about Mississippi State either, but I think that um, I think that uh, they are known to be a defensive-focused uh, team, like maybe one of the top three defenses. So it could be one of those games where field goals are huge, uh, mm-hmm. and this is you know like a twelve ten or a, a you know a fifteen twelve type of uh, uh, game. So. Um, so we'll be watching Miguel. We'll be watching. Hopefully, uh, he again becomes uh, the hero and savior of the Hawkeye Nation. And uh, I know one thing is for sure: it's going to be warmer than last year's bowl game. Uh, oh, that's the only thing yes. I think I, I'm willing to go out on a limb and guarantee um, that. I, I, I'm not. I was at the 2009 Orange Bowl, and I don't know that I've ever been as as cold at a game in my life. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, I know, Tori. You know, and and but I agree with James because the thing is that the the you know a little bit was written about it. Chad Lysico wrote about it, um, but the field conditions in the Pinstripe Bowl were not yeah. just bad; they were downright dangerous. I I would not. I I told my wife going into the game. I would not be surprised. I would be horrified, but I would not be surprised if somebody sustains a career-ending injury. And if so, they're going to get their pants suit off because they watered that field the night before the game. And who ever thought that was a smart idea to water the field should be fired. Yeah, they said it was like concrete. They were playing on uh, just a solid surface, and oh, I imagine nice. everybody was all bruised up and banged up, and just it was almost like permafrost. Well, yeah. that'll uh, definitely favor the Badger then, because you know the ice fishing. Uh, what? Okay. <laughs> talking about the pinstripe bowl, right? Yeah, but you don't get to it's bring your in Miami. Yeah, but you don't get come to on. bring your augers out there or anything. Come on. Yeah. You get your Carhartt and your Hunter Orange, and you're good to go. They start rolling some uh, shelters out on uh, on, the, on the sidelines there. So, um, well, great. Thank you again, uh, Renee. Can't thank you enough for your time and uh, you know giving us a little peek inside the mind of not only a super fan but also a parent of a really amazing athlete and. One who, uh, regardless of how um, uh, you know how the bowl game turns out, will certainly uh, go down in Hawkeye lore uh, because of his kick uh, and his winning kick, you know, uh, over Nebraska last week. And uh, and obviously we'll be watching very closely and and um, um, watching his career as he goes forward. Well, thanks, James. I really appreciate it. And. Um you know, now I get to, uh, after this, I get to uh, retreat back to even more of the limelight of just um, being a regular Hawkeye fan along with the rest of the schmucks. So, <laughs> Hey, well, Jim and I might actually be uh, coming down to the bowl game, and uh, I, I know you said Miguel doesn't drink, but maybe we but can we buy sure you do. a beer instead. <laughs> well, yeah, well, Miguel will drink after the game, so uh, <laughs> if, we, uh, if we hook up, it would be fun. My younger son turns 21, so I think he's planning on... All right. Well, if he has if he has another repeat of uh, uh, of the uh, kick in, against Nebraska, we'll uh, first rounds on us. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Renee. We'll catch yep. you later. All right. Once again, thanks to Renee Racinos. That was an awesome interview, as always. Tori had to leave us to go do his kids' homework, uh, but joining us, I think we've really traded up. We have Scott Doctorman. <laughs> Uh, writer extraordinaire for The Athletic. Uh, subscribe if you haven't. You don't know what you're missing. Uh, Scott, how are you doing tonight? Hey, doing great. Uh, too bad my old colleague, Tori, couldn't make it. But, you know, editing, uh, you know, math, three plus four equals seven. I'm sure that's pretty tough. So. <laughs> I will just say that he did not pass any of his math class, classes in college without me sitting him down and basically going through uh, everything from uh, counting on his fingers up to high school algebra. And he, and he will admit that. So That um, does not surprise me <laughs> in the least. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us, Scott. And, you know, we, um, you know, we had a great chat with, um, uh, with uh, Miguel Racino's father, Renee. And, you know, even after this season, I think we're going to keep coming back to Renee. He's just such an awesome guest and um, really insightful about, uh, about uh, all things football. But um, obviously wanted to pick your brain a little bit about how you felt the season ended. Uh, looks like we're going back to the um, uh, Outback Bowl. I don't know. What was it, Bill? Six time, six time in 10 years? Six times in 16 seasons. Yeah. So the, uh, it's becoming sort of the, uh, the Iowa Invitational down there in <laughs> Tampa. Um, 
So, but I think from a media perspective, and, and certainly you have some perspectives and insights into how the team is feeling, uh, Scott. Uh, what are your thoughts going back to the uh, uh, on the way the season ended up and going back to Tampa? I guess first, when you look at this season, it, it really is a disappointment, and I think it's it's really an opportunity lost for the program, for Kirk Ferentz, for the players, everybody. I mean, you know, the road was paved in gold to Indianapolis this year. You look at the schedule and you look at the team that they put together. They should have been playing on Saturday night. I'm not saying they should have won, but they should have been playing. Um, and that's really an unfortunate circumstance. I mean, they're eight and four. All four of their losses were to teams they lost to the previous year. So, you, you know, really they were just treading water. They didn't play Michigan State. Otherwise, they might have had the same record as they did the year before. It felt like they were a better team, that they did better, you know, in games. Um, their statistics certainly were improved, but the outcomes were really similar. And now, you know, the, the way the season ended, uh, winning those two games was pivotal i i think the program absolutely needed those wins you know the one against illinois which still to me was the worst atmosphere i've ever been to for a, uh-huh. a college football game and that includes when i used to cover one double a and and division two when i covered that when i was in st joseph missouri so this was the worst atmosphere i've ever seen uh in illinois and then you know the the way the the win against Nebraska absolutely had to happen. Um, otherwise, there's no way you could you could grade the season any kind of, of a success. Uh, so, but that said, um, to be able to go back to the Outback Bowl, I think is somewhat of a win for Iowa. It's uh, the Iowa Invitational. I think is a good way to put it. Six out of sixteen years, yeah. It's kind of like one of those. You know, hey, certain snowbirds like going back to the same place every year, and that's kind of the way the Outback Bowl has become for <laughs> Iowa snowbirds. But um, you're playing a good opponent on New Year's Day, and yeah, it's the same location, and it can get old once in a while. But it, there are worse places, and certainly worse bowls. So overall, I think uh, Iowa did nicely to end up in Tampa Bay again, and and to play against a really good defense. I mean, this is going to be a heck of a defensive battle. Yeah, thanks, Scott. I 100% agree with you uh, when you characterize this season as a disappointment. It was all there right in front of uh, the team. The table was set. And, uh, you know, it, and it was just the way that they kind of missed, you know, special teams at Wisconsin, um, you know, just a, a bad goal line play at Penn State, some fluky stuff at Purdue, and just uh, that Northwestern game. It's still just, it just, everything just kind of, to me, was you know, on the wrong side of the margin for error. I, th- I think of this whole season as a, like a C plus B minus type of, uh, uh, you know, type of outing. But, um, and I know Bill had some feelings b- even way back when, uh, when we were still six and one, right, Bill? Yeah, Scott, I, you might remember, I, I kind of smart acidly asked you when we were six and one, how this all culminates in a loss in the Outback Bowl. And, <laughs> and, and I was kind of joking around, but I don't know, maybe, it ingrained in the Hawkeye fans psyche. You just kind of expect eight and five and, and Outback Bowl is a win in the Outback Bowl kind of needed to kind of springboard Kirk Ferentz 3.0 into next season. Or, or are we very stagnant if, if we, you know, have a lose and it's eight or a loss and it's eight and five and, and, you know, kind of repeat of 2016 and repeat of 2013. <laughs> Yeah, it's on repeat a lot lately. Um, you know, I 
I don't know that there's ever going to be a 3.0. I thought this was going to be the year for it. And it should have been a 10 and two year. It should have been a West division title. It should have been a trip to Indianapolis and then maybe the peach bowl or the fiesta at worst, the citrus. And it's, it's not, it's not any of those things. So when you're losing a player like Noah Fant, I expect them to lose TJ Hawkinson uh, next year. I mean, the schedule gets more challenging, the road games, the teams in the West are getting better. Purdue has beaten Iowa two years in a row. Northwestern's beaten Iowa three years in a row. Nebraska almost beat Iowa this year. Minnesota got back, you know, finally won the ax. Um, it, it's tough for me to say that, you know, hey, keep your hope for next year. It's going to be the year that they finally go 11 and one and or 12 and 0 or 10 and two. You know, this was supposed to be that year. So I don't know if I'm going to become cynical or, or at minimum skeptical on on this program but i don't know that whether they win or lose any there's going to be any kind of springboard anymore i mean they've got good players and they're a good team but they should have won those games and and so it's kind of like you know what what why do i think that they're going to be better you know i mean a senior quarterback well he was the reason why they lost at penn state and uh did i see him you know he had some good games but he didn't make that much progress, I didn't think, year over year. Um, you know, the, there's going to be some improvements, but and I don't mean to be sour on this team or this program, but I'm just I'm having a hard time after this year where it was there <laughs> and and there's no you know you know like 2010 2010 there were reasons they played great teams and lost late because of attrition of of players getting hurt. Yeah, yeah, no depth at linebacker. I remember. Well, I, I uh, just remember that you know you're starting to sound like me talking about 2010 and 2016. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Scott, I have a, a clarification real quick, and then another question. Um, so you said that T.J. Hawkinson won't be back next year. Next year, are you saying that he leaves after his junior year? Or are you saying he leaves after the the bowl game? After this I, last game, I think he's going to leave after the bowl game. I mean, he's, oh wow, he's already. I mean, he's a third-year sophomore, so he's eligible for the draft. And and like uh, the the athletics uh, draft analyst uh, Dane Brugler today had him listed as a first rounder along with Noah Fant. Um, I don't. Wow. I mean, he's going to be a, a worst. I talked to a different scout the other day. He said he's at least a second rounder. So if you've got that kind of accolades, why come back? You know, yeah, so, especially sure. if he wins the Mackey Award. That's uh, kind of a slam dunk. Well, let's let's talk about that because we heard, you know, obviously Fant has made his intentions clear, and uh, we heard a little bit about you know some rumblings about TJ, but then we also heard some other players like Nate Stanley and uh, Amari Hooker, and was it? Uh, Matt Nelson, uh, uh, Anthony Nelson, Anthony Nelson. Sorry. So, what what are your uh, what are your thoughts about uh, players leaving early? You know, the other three, I I, I think Anthony Nelson, I, I don't really have a great feel for. Um, his position group is pretty heavy going into the next level, so he would be pushed down. You know, and I don't know if like, hey, he comes, he stays another year, and he's a first rounder, or, or if he comes out now, he's a third rounder. I guess that's just what his investigative, you know, abilities need to entail here in the next month. I mean, I don't know that it would help a Monty Hooker at all. Um, safeties generally do not get drafted high. You know, and there might be one or two in the first round, and one or two in the second, and that doesn't really 
help you financially, you know, in, in one way or the other. So maybe you might as well get your, you know, unless, unless you think you're going to get drafted and you're, it's not going to change, then yeah, go get paid for an extra year. But Scott, Nate, I have a, yeah, I was going to say Nate Stanley, he needs to stay. Right. Right. Uh, he'll get, he'll get destroyed by the NFL draft echo chamber for over the next three months. He'll, he won't even survive. I, I, I have a question about players leaving and, and it's kind of a two part, like one, are Northwestern fans, you know, talking about all their players potentially leaving for the NFL and because they've beaten us three straight years. And if not, you know, if we're such an NFL farm team, where are the wins? You, you know, why why do we have all the problems of a blue blood program? You know, our, our players are leaving early, but not the wins. What's going on there? Hmm, that's a great question. Uh, Iowa just doesn't seem to have all the engines running at the same time. Uh, you look in, you know, last year you've got Josie Jewell and you got, and, and then you have great games on one side of the ball and not on the other or great one great game. And then everybody's inconsistent the next game. They just really don't put it all together. And, and, you know, and, and the systemic part of it, you know, I, that, that one's hard to reach because th- these games are so close. Um, you know, they're not getting blown out of the water except for that Wisconsin game last year. I mean, you're looking at Northwestern. It's a one play situation. Well, you know what? I think that directly leads to the fact why Noah Fant's leaving. I mean, he's not on the field for the last two series on offense. And, you know, whatever Kirk Ferentz says, I'm not listening. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it, he says, oh, he's a specialist. or No, get your best <laughs> player on the field and get him the ball. Yeah. You know, right. It's not that hard. I mean, or get him or get him on the field as a decoy. <laughs> right. Well, he was a decoy on the on the touchdown that day. Uh, Tamir Smith Marset. That you know, Northwestern respected him so much. Triple covered three, him. Yeah. Triple coverage, and you know the coaches were smart enough to to name him a first team All Big Ten uh, tight end. I almost wonder if they were doing it to thumb their nose at Kirk. But mm. you know, it, you know, get your best player on the field and get him the ball. It's like basketball. You don't see. Well, you know what? We decided to go with small lineup, so we're going to leave our All American on the bench. You know, you you get your best player of the ball, and then that's where. Iowa screwed up, and I think this is where it could have long-term ramifications that certain players might look at this and go, you know what, they just aren't getting the best players on the outside of the ball. And so, you know, that, that uh, that's what I struggled with all year long. You know, I understand if you want to – if T.J. Hawkinson's that good, and he is, but no fan's that good too. And, you, and even when he was on the field, they didn't use him properly. You know, he's got a 42-inch vertical. Go Let him go up and get the ball. Throw mm-hmm. it up there. And they didn't do any of that. Amen. Yeah, it's a it, it's a mystery, and I think that was the subject of a podcast right after the Northwestern game. Is just you know, it's it's just one of those things that we'll never know. Like you know, like what did DJK say? You know, after the Minnesota game, so it's just uh, <laughs> to get in the doghouse. It's just it's one of those things where it's not like it's not like, uh, and I want to be careful here. It's not like. Ference is so stubborn that he costs the team games, but it's more like he's determined to win on his own terms. Is a, maybe a better way to say it. Um, win, win, you know, in his way and the right way. So, um, but I, I think that's that's been frustrating to watch, and uh, and I think it it kind of you get Fant even a little bit of what we saw last year, and um, and we get maybe two of those four losses back. 
Um, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. in each one of those games, I can point to certain situations where he should have been on the field or should have done. They should have done something different. Um, let's go to the Wisconsin game, you know, which is which is really painful overall. I think uh, on the fourth and one that they got stopped at at the Wisconsin five yard line, they were in three tight end formation, two running back. They decided to go to a quarterback sneak, but before that, they they split out in motion Noah Fant. He was one-on-one with a 5'10 defensive back with about 20 yards between him and the, the the tackle. There was nobody else on the other side. He could have ran a simple slant for a touchdown, or they could have just thrown it up in the air and let him go get it against a kid seven inches shorter than him. They did the same thing later in the game. It was like a third and two or something like that. And then they ran a pitch to Ivory Kelly Martin, and he got tackled. It was a great play by the Wisconsin linebacker. But again, you, you've got a guy who's this kind of an incredible physical mismatch and you're not taking advantage of it. Right. And, and it's like they're, they they have this box on what they think they need to do. And sometimes they have a hard time. And I don't like the cliche, think outside the box, but really in their case, <laughs> it's like, think, think outside the four walls. It's break, break your tendencies. Yeah. A little yeah. bit. Yeah. You know, it, it's crazy. So, hey, uh, Scott, um, you know, another subject that I know that this has been, you know, beat to death and uh, a little bit, and I saw you were talking a little bit about it on, on Twitter, was, um, um, you know, this is now year three that the Big Ten champion has been left out uh, of the uh, of the playoffs. And so it seems like the Big Ten and the and the Pac-12 uh, are, uh, are on the sidelines here for another year. Um, do you... You know, what do you think? Where do you think we are with the playoffs? We're in now uh, what uh, this is the fourth or fifth iteration yeah, of yeah. this, and and people are saying, well, this is clear that we need to expand the field. I think that actually makes the problem worse, personally, because you know while you've got just a, a number of, um, uh, you know, like maybe a handful of uh, unbeaten's or one loss teams, and you start to get into two loss teams, and when you start to argue about who's number eight and who's number nine, and you're picking your two losses over my one loss or something like that and you know you got to figure the sec runner-up has got a permanent seat in an eight uh eight team field you know it's just uh, where do you think we go from here do you because i don't know that this gets any better um uh and i don't know that we want to drag the football season into february and march either so um uh what are your thoughts on this if you start to expand the season anymore and the playoffs anymore, you better start. You, you're going to get hit pretty hard with a pay the players uh, argument. And I think they have to be careful of that. And I think they're cognizant of it, which is why it hasn't really happened yet. And right. then it continues to devalue the bowls. It just, it, you know, you might as well just expand it all the way. Now, um, I think in regards to the Big Ten, uh, there needs to be some soul, soul searching. And, what it is is it's the soul for the conference. I mean, you know, one of the reasons why they expanded to nine, you know, there were a couple of them. And one was uh, that they, they wanted to play each other more, not less. I mean, it's a conference that's been around for a hundred years and, and uh, you know, you don't want to have Iowa and Ohio state miss, you know, they already missed all these years, you know, you're going to have a miss more often, you know, no, you kind of want to all be together. But then also it was because strength of schedule was going to be such an important part of the discussion that, Hey, you know, you might as well, uh, you know, you, you need to prepare yourself for that. So every, you know, I think it's 11 out of the 14 teams in the big 10 played at least 
10 power five teams. Ohio State played 11. Purdue played 11. And then you look at the Southeastern Conference, nobody played 10. Yeah. And, and, and so that's their advantage, that they're not racking up those cross-divisional losses. I mean, you look at Ohio State the last two years, you know, they wouldn't have played those games. Maybe they would have, but, you know, but for the sake of this argument, let's say that they didn't go to Iowa in 2017. They didn't go to uh, Purdue this year. Um, and they played the Citadel or, or <laughs> Berman or something like that, then they're in. You know, so I think the Big Ten, Jim Delaney, you know, how much longer he's going to be in this chair, I don't know, but I think it's about time that he turned it over, is, uh, you know, from a football perspective, if the most important goal, more than playing each other, more not less, is get your champion into the playoff, then you've got to you've got to shut this all down, and you got to go say, you know what, we're going to go back to eight games in the in the league and do whatever the hell you want to do, yeah. scheduling wise. Get you some more get, uh, paycheck uh, cream puffs. Uh, I I actually kind of agree with that. I think that you know, it, when the way this set up is that it, you could see the conferences trying to figure out what the recipe was uh, to get in, yeah. and you remember that the 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 Big Twelve was being punished for not having a championship game. And they created this without any divisions. They just said, we're going to take our top two teams and have them play each other in a championship yeah. game. Um, and, uh, and even if it's a rematch. And that worked brilliantly for them this year. Um, because I think it put Oklahoma State... Uh, because Ohio State beats Northwestern like that and Oklahoma's not playing Saturday. I think Ohio State might have jumped them. Um, yeah, you're right. I think that's the case. I think Oklahoma gets in and uh, you know, or doesn't get in, and I think yeah, that thirteenth data point. Now, you look at a couple of the other situations, and and this is why I think the Big Ten needs some force um, at the national level. They need to start making their voice known a little bit more, and they need more of a football person doing it. Um, Notre Dame didn't have that thirteenth entry point. They didn't have to play any kind of championship mm. game. They were by themselves. Now they were lucky, you know. In some ways, they were lucky. They were undefeated, so they kind of got and they beat two. Uh, they beat two Big Ten teams, including the West champs. So that they helps did. Their, that helps their claim. Sure, no doubt about it. But you know, they're they're kind of a pseudo ACC member. You know, they play five teams during the, the yeah. season. I would have liked to have seen Clemson and Notre Dame go head to head. Sure, uh, they know, did a couple been, years ago. So. Yeah, um, uh, you know they they will here in a few weeks, but I would yeah. like to have seen it in the ACC championship game instead of Clemson versus seven and five Pitt. Well, know, and then what do you beat. do? And then what do you do with a team like UCF? You know, I mean, uh, granted, I know a lot of folks just roll their eyes, but honestly, if you can't go two years plus, I'm without rolling losing, my eyes without losing I... a football game, and <laughs> then just then just say it, Bill. Then just say it. This is a this is a P five playoff only. Just you know what I mean? Just you just come out and say it. Like, sorry, you, you can you can go three years undefeated. You can go five years undefeated. You're never gonna get a seat. Certainly play nine P five teams. No, I'm just <laughs> saying I, I I'm just saying that, you know, don't even pretend that there's like a, a, a mathematical um you know, path, slim as it may be, for a team like that to make it into the playoffs. I got the because smallest the answer island is, in the world playing for all them. Right, I right, don't I, care about mid majors, you know, step up and, and play an actual schedule. Well yeah. you look at what they played versus what Alabama played in their non conference, right? You can only play the conference that you have and you can only beat the crap out of them a hundred percent of the time. Um, yeah. You know, that's all you can do as a player, I'm saying. Um, so I, I'm not I'm not saying they should be in Bill. I'm saying make it clear that they're never going to get there. 
um, I got and end the controversy that they're not being picked. You know, I, I think my biggest beef was it was it certainly was not Ohio State versus Oklahoma. I thought they were both were deserving, and I didn't have really. I was kind of uh, agnostic either way who who got in and who didn't. But it was really the fact that Ohio State was sixth and Georgia was fifth that really kind of torqued me. Absolutely, I mean, I'm with you. Because you know Georgia's only Power Five opponent outside of you know the South or the Southeastern Conference was Georgia Tech. And they were seven and five, and I mean that's that's yeah. like Iowa playing Iowa State every year, and then there are other games I can't remember all of them, but it was like Austin P and UMass, and 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 yet here they are, and they play, you know, they got blown out by twenty by LSU, and then then they lose to Alabama, and then all of a sudden they're better than the Big Ten champion that played eleven, you know, that's just BS. Hey, Scott, um, you know, we appreciate we kept you a little longer than we wanted to, uh, but very grateful for your time and your your insights, as always. Um, Tori and I are probably going to be down there in Tampa, so we'll have to make sure. He's he's actually back and part of the media now with his job at the Press Citizen. I'm just kind of his plus one, so uh, but maybe <laughs> we can get to some of those good uh, good events, some good beer tents, and, uh, and uh, you know, make sure first round is on us for all of your uh, uh, gracious contributions to our podcast. Hey, you got a you got a prediction uh, for the bowl game for one more contribution to the podcast? <laughs> you uh, know, cowbell headache is my prediction. Yeah, <laughs> uh, thankfully it's a closed enclosed press box, unlike New York. Um, but uh, you know, at this point, I'm probably leaning a little bit towards Mississippi State. Yeah. Uh, their defenses. I mean, now both teams' defenses are legit. I mean, I don't want to cut Iowa any. You know cut them down because I just don't, that's not fair. I have no problem being, you know, critical of Iowa, but I will say that their defense is one of the best in the country. So Iowa will be able to handle just about everything Mississippi state throws at it. It's just, uh, you know, I, I think it's a field goal game either way. I haven't watched enough of Mississippi state to really be accurate, but I'd probably go 13 to 10 Mississippi state. If you're just a, you know, ask me today, but that will change the, the score and possibly the teams by the end of the month. Awesome. Well, it could Absolutely. be another, uh, could be another heroic day for uh, Mr. Rosinos then. It could be, or you could <laughs> see AJ Epineza, you know, having three or four sacks. Oh, I would love that. And he's free to score as much as he wants as well. So, <laughs> um, Absolutely. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you very much, Scott. Always a pleasure. And uh, yeah, let's try and connect down there if, if, uh, if the uh, occasion presents itself. Okay. Sounds great. Thanks so much, guys. All right. Thanks. So I'm back, guys. Sorry I missed the interview with Scott. How did that go? Scott was upbeat. Scott was uh, very positive about uh, the 2018 Hawkeyes. Ooh. I don't believe you. He Scott had the uh, you know, I mean he, he obviously he has a lot of insights. He's a, he's forgotten more about football than I'll ever know. But he had a lot on his mind, and he was uh, in a sharing kind of mood. I like it. I like this uh, this version of uh, Doctorman for uh, the Athletic. So. Oh man, that means I'm going to have to actually listen to the podcast this week. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how our poor listeners feel. Uh, well, yeah, Scott had a lot to chat about uh, uh, just the season generally and um, the prospects of the uh, the Outback Bowl and the uh, you know the facing Mississippi State and players leaving early and you know all kinds of stuff. He had a lot of uh, like I said, he had a lot of uh, opinions and and thoughts that he wanted to share, and it was just it was golden. Our our audience is gonna eat it up with a spoon. 
Well, I do look forward to hearing it now. Yeah. They better. Yeah. Well, let's uh, see if we can kind of bring the 2018 Hawkeye season in for a landing. We do have one piece of unfinished business, however, which is the uh, the predictions and the gnome of knowledge. Um, as we left our heroes, uh, it was I had four wins and Tori and Bill were tied with three apiece. Remember, nobody picked the Minnesota games because we were lazy. We took that week off. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Tori, looks like you had the had the win. Uh, both Tori and I were calling for Iowa blowouts. Bill was picking the Nebraska upset. Um, That's right. Tori, you called for the slightly lower magnitude uh, blowout than I did. You called for a 21-point win. I called for 25 points. It should have been. It, it should have been. 100% agree. So that takes you uh, up to four, and that means the gnome no longer lives in Nebraska. Um, oh, lucky little gnome. <laughs> <laughs> so Bill, I would gladly I'm... trade the gnome for a Nebraska loss. Uh, I don't feel bad. I'm not going to miss him. Uh, it was money well spent. Gnome's well spent. <laughs> yeah, you know, score-wise, though, uh, Bill was actually the closest, so I feel a little. I feel a little shame, yeah. but what was my not score? enough to you know lose. He had seventeen ten Nebraska, so um, right. it was seven point differential. Flip it over, and yeah, I suppose. But um, um, but yeah, so you can send that guy to Bettendorf, or you can send that guy to Leclaire. Um, I'm sure the U.S. Postal Service still visits Omaha occasionally, so. Well, we could make the bowl. Uh, which one? Which one of us does the bowl? How about just Tori and I? Is the tiebreaker? Do the bowl as like a runoff, Bill? Or would you be upset about that? And then you were like, the... well, I mean, Bill should make his pick too. But uh, well, no, what it just if won't wins? matter. Because what if we had a three-way tie? Yeah. Oh shit! Well, then we. I know what we do. We uh, chop the gnome <laughs> into three pieces, King Solomon <laughs> style, and we replace him with a new gnome next year. It's only no! fair. <laughs> you hear that? <laughs> he, he's not hip to that idea. I, I know Bill like tweeted a picture of the gnome. Like, yeah, you can't can't send this to you guys for real though, because it's like a collector's item from my uncle's basement from nineteen. From... It's none of those things, but it, <laughs> it's none of those things. But it, it's it's been in my house, in my parents' house for ten years. I don't you, know. You stash drugs in it, don't you, Bill? <laughs> it's got a little hollowed out bottom. You, you can put your weed in there. Yes. <laughs> Uh, well, I I did see a gnome at uh, the Bettendorf High V, so I'm just saying it's <laughs> it's maybe not the uh, the priceless artifact that uh, we want. I never when we said it was. I just I've got sentimental attachment. It's been <laughs> here for years. Why has it got to be my no? Oh, it's got it's got an. <laughs> Oh, whenever oh, no. young Bill, whenever young Bill used to make love to a Nebraska girl, he'd make her, he'd make the gnome watch with its little Hawkeye jacket. It's the only way he could climb that. Wow, we are. I don't even so, know how to respond to that. We are gonna get yanked off iTunes, you guys. Come on. Uh, the hell goes know. through your head, here, Tori? I don't know if you should edit that out, Bill, or edit it so it's at the front of the episode. <laughs> Oh. Tonight, I have an active imagination. Podcast. It makes me a good writer. Okay, uh, it makes you something. So, uh, well, yeah, I like the idea of me and Tori pick for the bowl game, and that becomes like the runoff, the tiebreaker, uh, and then then that determines who gets the gnome or who buys the replacement gnome or whatever. 
and Bill's pick will honestly just be like a exhibition, much like a bowl game. So it, it's all, it all makes sense. And you guys lose, and then we're tied with four. Well, we're saying the regular you, you season matters pick. more, Bill, is yeah. what we're saying. Yeah, you should have been smarter all these weeks, Bill. <laughs> Whatever, guys. All right. <laughs> uh, okay, so we'll just we'll just have like a a a, a DN. Uh, a DNR for you, Bill, um, for the bowl game here. I have a mighty have fallen. Uh, all right, Tori, you won. You want to go first? You want me to go first? What do you want? Uh, yeah, I'll go first. That's fine. I mean, because I'm going to be honest, I have maybe watched three and a half minutes of Mississippi State football this year. Um, once the clinging kicks in, I pretty much just turn it off. Uh, <laughs> That's what I, they call I, them, I, too. It, On Reddit, they call them their clangas. Yeah, this is going to be so obnoxious, um, you guys. (laughs) The weird little thing that actually gives me pause, and I hadn't even thought about it before, uh, but it's something that Renee brought up, which is that many of these Iowa players were there for the Florida game and are going to be familiar with the routine, are going to be familiar with the field. Um, Hopefully we'll have a little, you know, spring in their step because of how crappy the team played the last time they were there. So I'm going to go on a limb and say that that gives Iowa a little edge. Uh, I did like how Ferentz prepared for the bowl last year. Um, it's time to win uh, a bowl against the SEC team again. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and uh, pick Iowa in a, in a nail-biting, very defensive-type game. I'm going to call it 19-17 to 17, Hawkeyes. Uh, my pick to click is Matt Nelson, who wreaks havoc from his defensive end position. Anthony Nelson. Anthony Nelson or Matt? Yeah, Nelson? yeah. Oh, let him pick. Him. Let him pick Matt Nelson. Come on. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. The junior. The junior. The one we're worried about going to the NFL. Yeah, Anthony. Um, I'm kind of in the same place, Tori. Um, because maybe it's just because I have to justify the um, money I just plunked down on an uh, air fire. <laughs> and we're tell. we're all really excited about going to the bowl game, right? Agreed? Not agreed. Not agreed? Not agreed. So, yeah, I, I'm also picking Iowa uh, to win, Tori, uh, because, you know, I wouldn't be trekking down there if, uh, if I didn't. Um, and since we spoke to uh, Renee, I think uh, we have another opportunity for some heroics for uh, Mr. Racinos. I think Iowa wins 17-14, so it's a little also... A low-scoring game, a little close, but I've got a, a three-point differential. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and put, although Racinos hits the late field goal, which is the last score, I think that the uh, the actual game ball w- goes to um, uh, Sargent with two touchdowns. So um, my pick Has is Has Iowa lost every bowl game that you've been to, Jim? Every bowl game and every away game and every neutral field game. Well, thanks a lot. Yeah, so... Hey, it's gotta gotta break sometime, you know. <laughs> uh, but I'm not a superstitious guy, so I, I guess the bottom line is, Tori, you've got a two point differential. I've got a three point differential, unless we're somehow score. Bill, you'll have to be the judge of who actually wins, and then and whether or not we drop down to the pick to click. So and judge you too, I shall. <laughs> oh man, that's not fair. I was way meaner to him just now than you were. Uh, <laughs> well, that's just that's karma telling you that maybe you need to be a little more careful. Not that you asked my opinion on the game, because uh, I'm. I've, We're going to be you the it. exhibition pick. <laughs> exhibition pick. I, I will say that I watched. Uh, it was like a 15 minute uh, kind of summary of the Auburn um, Mississippi State game, 
And quite frankly, that was the sloppiest football I've ever seen. I mean, <laughs> both of those teams made our uh, adventures against Wisconsin in the punt return game look look competent. I mean, they, they couldn't field punts. I thought it was bad tackling. I I don't know. I I guess they're all five stars, and, and maybe that's what five-star football looks like. But I wasn't impressed with that IA test. I was a little worried uh, looking at the stats. Mississippi State's got an amazing defense statistically. But I don't know. Maybe maybe they're not fundamentally sound and neither was Auburn. I don't know. So I, I, I too, like Iowa in this game. And, you know, why don't we go ahead and say something like 24 to 14? Maybe we uh, come out of our shell and we put something uh, really great together and uh, gives us a good launch into 2019. You know, the dirty little secret about SEC football, though, is that it's just not that exciting of an offensive league. I don't think the offensive levels are any better than the Big Ten, really. I mean, even watching the Alabama-Georgia game, although the athletes look like huge, amazing specimens, the actual offensive football is pretty basic. And honestly, isn't Mississippi State basically the Iowa of the SEC anyway? They're always good. They're never great. You know, they Mm. toy with almost being a champion and then seem to fall back. So I think... I think this is an evenly matched game. Right. And, and I'll also say that their their offense isn't – they're not really a, a, a powerful passing team. Their quarterback is kind of a, a scrambler guy. He's got 1,000 yards rushing. Um, and I think maybe this is a deal like Georgia Tech back in 2009 where, you know, give us enough time to scheme around their option, their zone read look, and, and maybe we can limit them. Uh, They've got a great defensive end, though, and he wears number nine. His name's uh, something Sweat. Love a defensive end with a single number, and and he's going to be scary for for our tackles. But I don't know. I, I think maybe we can solve him. I'm maybe not as bullish as you guys. I mean, I know that the competition wasn't always there, this particularly in the non-conference, but you know, Mississippi State, and especially in their non-conference, put up 49, 63, 56, 45, 52, and 35 points who'd the uh, 63 come against 63 was against uh i don't know sfa who Stephen the hell is that f Stephen austin, austin. All who right. is two and ten okay. in the fcs That's so fair. they it's also just that. one guy okay they had yeah. uh <laughs> i mean i could score 63 points against some guy named steve they put up 52 against arkansas now arkansas is hapless ever since they fired they're, two Brett, and 10. they're but, terrible okay but don't say that they have no offense is my point um you know it's hard to uh score uh, uh, 63 points in an hour even if you're playing against no one or scrimmaging against your twos so or your Iowa basketball or if you're Iowa basketball <laughs> or your Iowa's wow. offense and football yeah so just you know I, I would say let's be careful before we uh, and and isn't it true that uh, Mississippi State this is their first year coaching um, staff they, they kind of raided the cupboard over at Penn State didn't they so these are the folks that played us in uh, that beat down in uh, 2016. Yes, it is. So I, you know, let's be a little, be a little cautious. I mean, for a first year's team to go uh, first year coaching staff to go eight and four and take to a uh, Outback bowl, I think is, you know, is, is no small task. So we all remember for uh, Ferentz's first couple of years. So uh, by contrast, yeah, I mean, for once, we're not going to have the, well, they don't really want to be there thing. I mean, I think they, they're going to be pretty excited to be there, as you mentioned, with the they'll, first-year coaching staff. So. They'll be there with bells on, unfortunately for us. 
<laughs> playing us. Yeah. Oh, jeez, that's just gonna be so obnoxious. We gotta come up with something. Do they do they let us bring in those Vuvuzela things? For, or is that are those just out of fashion now? We can bring them back. NCAA doesn't allow outside noisemakers, so I don't know how how Mississippi State is. They got the rule. They got the. I don't know. They got special. It's part of their culture down there, Bill. They carry them in their uh, pouches. <laughs> they're they're marsupials down there in Mississippi. Was, oh, little God. known fact, actually. I was gonna say something even worse. Oh well. I say you you don't really have to carry in your own cowbell. You just reach over and take it off your girlfriend's collar. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're just not going to top that joke, guys. We should probably wrap this one up. I am with you. All right. So, uh, hey, hopefully we are doing this again in about a month with a, a wrap-up. Are we going to do a wrap-up? I guess Why it not? depends on if we have anything interesting to talk about with basketball. <laughs> if we lose the bowl game and the basketball team sucks, we'll see you all next, <laughs> next Labor Day. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Well, on... Uh, let's end it the way we always do and say, on Iowa. Go Hawks. Beat Nebraska next year. Yes. Again. And the year after. <laughs> but beat Mississippi State first. Uh, yeah. All right. It's been fun, guys. And uh, we'll see you in Florida, Tori. Cheers.